We have to be devout. We have to be, in a sense, not perfect, but we need to be a vessel clean enough for Christ to lead and to guide, the Spirit to lead and to guide. And Simeon was this person. start just after the birth of Christ here. Luke chapter 2 and we'll start reading in verse 22. Luke chapter 2 verse 22 and once you've found it or if you're on your way and finding it you could, you could join me in standing as we read Luke chapter 2 verses 22 through 25 together. Luke 2 Verse 22 through 25 together. Ready and begin. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today, for this afternoon service. And Lord, just this time of year is just a time where we can really spend extra emphasis and, and, and extra time to reflect you coming to earth and just what that means. Leaving perfect heaven, coming to completely imperfect earth. Living amongst us and dying amongst us. Lord, it marked one of the greatest moments in human history, the day you chose to be born here. And we thank you for doing so and for staying here all the way to the cross. Lord, as we reminisce just a little bit about a story around that time, help us to learn what we can from the message this afternoon. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Jesus Christ had just been born. We know the story from Luke chapter 2. We know that Caesar Augustus taxed the whole known world and everyone had to go back to their home country, their hometown, and Joseph, having been from Bethlehem, had to bring his family. It was unfortunate that Mary was pregnant at this time, and we know the story. As soon as they get to Bethlehem, well, that's when the baby decides to come. The baby always will come whenever the baby wants to come. It doesn't care about mom and dad's schedule. As soon as they get there, baby wants out. Jesus has it all planned. It's been prophesied. It's all the stars are aligning. Literally, the stars have aligned just right, and Jesus was born. Multitude of heavenly hosts. Uh, praise the Lord. The shepherds here, they run to see Christ. They see the baby. Now we're around this time here. And verse 22 says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. So Mary now having spent about, they say, about 40 days now from the time of her birth. Mary now, her, pure, her days of purification, according to the laws, are now Complete, they're over. And now, as per custom, her and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to, in a sense, dedicate Jesus, especially as he was a male and the firstborn. 
And in verse 24, the proper sacrifice was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this was sort of just another day for Mary and Joseph. It was a big day. It was a, a great day to bring Jesus into the public. I don't know if he'd been in public before this. I'm sure he has at least a, a few times. But now we have Jesus coming in to the temple, dedicating him, offering the sacrifice. And on their way there, they meet a man. A man that really none, nothing is known of him except these few verses here in Luke chapter 2. A man by the name of Simeon, as we read here in verse 25, which says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. We don't know much about this guy, except what we do know about him is pretty extraordinary. People suppose that this was uh, uh, another man that they know of in history who could have who was uh, eventually his son would be uh, the famous, uh, the, the famous uh, priest Gamaliel, the teacher who would eventually teach Paul. And some people try to connect him to this, and there's really not enough here to actually make the proper connection here. There's just not enough known. And I'm sure he wasn't the only guy named Simeon. There probably were many others. But whoever this guy was, we know a few things for certain. And so today I simply would just like us to examine... Simeon's life, his brief life, and some of the details that are listed here in the story. And the first thing I would like us to notice this afternoon is the character of Simeon. His character. The first thing it says about him in verse 25, whose name was Simeon, the same man was, what's that word? It was just. It was just. What else does it say about him? He was devout, and he waited for the consolation of Israel. He was a just man. He was, he was blameless, if you could say it that way. He was innocent. He was holy in the sight of the Lord. This was a man that did his best to do what he could for others, for people. He wasn't just there for himself, but he was a man who lived his life for people, but also the second word, devout, signifies his devotion unto God. He did his best to live his life for those around him. He was just. He was blameless. He wasn't a one way or the other. He tried to be a, a righteous, a holy guy. But also he, was, he spent his life devoting himself unto the Lord. He was, if you can say, circumspect. He was careful in his dealings with both men and God. And the fact that the author said this about him, Luke, signified it must have been pretty well known about him. That this guy would come to the temple often and everybody, hey, that's Simeon. Man, that's a good guy right there. All Simeon. That's a friend we should have. I want my son and my daughter to meet Simeon. Simeon was one of those guys that, that people perhaps even looked up to. And even though our world today doesn't know much about him, back then, I believe in the, in the Bible times and those that spent time around the temple knew the name Simeon. They knew who he was. But you know, being just, being devout, as amazing characteristics as those are, and by the way, if you were, somebody were to come up to you and, and introduce you and say, hey, this, this is so-and-so, this person is... What would be the first thing they'd say about you? 
This person is good in sports. That's not a bad thing to be said. This person, oh, it, it, man, he knows cars. This person, oh man, this guy, he can do this, or she can, is really good at this. But when you met Simeon, it seemed like, word around the street was, oh, this, this guy loves God. This guy loves God, and he shows it by the way he treats other people. This was what Simeon was known by. What, what, are, what are we known by? What are we known for in life? But you know, why was Simeon, he, he was just, he was devout, but look at number 20, verse 25, he was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was waiting. Waiting for what? We don't know how old Simeon is. It's not mentioned here. If you read into, uh, if you read into Jewish history, and, and they suppose that Simeon was probably an older man at this time, though what the scriptures doesn't say. What was he waiting for, though? The Bible says the consolation of Israel. It's where consolations come up quite a few times throughout the scriptures. And essentially, uh, one definition of it is comfort. But what's being mentioned of specifically here is this idea of the coming Messiah. Waiting for the consolation, you could say the, the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for the Christ. The law, the prophecy that's been coming, that everyone knows is coming. There's, there's a Messiah. He's coming. It's all in the prophets, the, mi the major and the minor prophets. He was waiting for the Messiah to come, the comforter. Interesting, too, in Acts chapter 4, there's a guy who's... Uh, look, look at Acts chapter 4 real quick. Leave your finger here. Acts chapter 4... And here's one of the instances where this word comes up. Acts chapter 4, look here in verse, well, look at the end, verse 36. Acts chapter 4, we come across a guy by the name of Barnabas, though that wasn't actually his, um, necessarily his, but that's the name that we, we, uh, we go by today. But actually, in verse 36, and Joseph, Acts 4, 36, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And it says here that he sold his land, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas, who's, uh, who I believe his, his real name, or his, maybe his birth name is Joseph, uh, son, a son of consolation. He here is this, the, and this gives the idea of his exhortation. He was known for his comforting exhortation to those in disciples and those around him. But back to Luke chapter two, we see here that this guy Simeon was waiting for this day to come. And look in verse twenty-six. It says, "And it was revealed unto him." By the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Wow. Now that, this is a reason to wait. God told him that you won't die until you meet Christ. 
the Messiah. Now, I don't know how many people thought maybe he was a little crazy because of this. Now, I'm telling you, I, I know, I mean, God told me that I'm not going to die until I meet the Messiah. He's coming in my lifetime. Yes, I mean, uh, many people have uh, probably hoped and longed for this. Maybe some people thought he was crazy. I don't know. But he knew that he was going to meet the Messiah. And I imagine, just in case, this guy spent as much time as he could at the temple. He wanted to make sure he didn't miss his chance. He, he, he probably didn't know where he was going to meet the Messiah. But here's a guy who was just, he was devout, and he was, in my opinion, so close to God that God allowed him and gave him the privilege and the opportunity to be able to meet him someday, the Christ. But I find this interesting too. Simeon now, he's waiting. He's waiting for the Messiah to come. And what does he do while he's waiting? What does he do? What does he spend his days doing while he's waiting for the Messiah to come? He spends his days being just and being devout. So many times in life we, we're waiting for something in our life to happen. Especially if you're young, you're waiting for God to reveal a special plan for your life. And maybe we're older, we're waiting for God to reveal something to us. And it's important that while we wait for God, we work for God. Because so many times in life, we, we want God's blessing. We, we're waiting for God to reveal something to us. But in the meantime, we need to keep working for Him. We need to keep being diligent for the Lord. Are we waiting for God and working for Him daily? Are we living holy lives while we wait for His will on our life? Oftentimes, God wants to reveal something to us, but oh, the, the life they're living isn't worth even me telling them. They're not even living the life I need them to live right now. Let us be like Simeon, and while we wait for the Lord, let us work for him as best as we can. The character of Simeon, we could spend more time on this, but I want us to continue on here and look at, secondly, the influences of Simeon. The influences. Everybody here in life is, it allows, influence, allows things around us to influence us. We're all influenced by so many things in life. And everybody's different because everybody lives different lives. And the people you're around influence you. The person you married influences you. Your children influence you. The things you watch, the things you study, the things you read, everything in life influences you. But what influenced Simeon's life. It says here in verse 27. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. You see, this was his chance to meet the Messiah. And it seemed like he maybe wasn't planning on being in the temple that day, perhaps. Maybe he was busy, he was on an errand, he was going to do something, or maybe he was going to come in, but come in later. But the Spirit made sure that he was there. And the Spirit led Simeon to the temple so that he could be there to meet Christ. Because it says that when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Anybody here like horses? Anybody like horses? Anybody? Horses? Some people? Or how many of you don't really... Yeah, it's a horse. I have friends growing up 
they, one friend in particular, she was obsessed with horses and her whole life it was horses and she maybe wanted to be a horse, I don't know. She loved, horses were everywhere. And I've noticed, I've, I've ridden some horses in the past, in the, in the, when we were on deputation, we had, uh, we spent some time in Michigan and for some reason a lot of people in Michigan have lots of property and lots of horses and we did some riding and uh, recently my, uh, our family, we went to the islands for a, a, like an anniversary and while we were there we did a little horse carriage ride in around Victoria, it was, it was neat and on a lot of these horses you see whether they're racing horses or they're carriage drawn horses or even some work horses which aren't really used as much anymore today. But a lot of these horses, especially in North America, they, the masters or the trainers or the jockeys, they like to use blinders that they put on the horse. And we have a picture of them for you here. They put these blinders on, the, on there to, feel, to, to stop their vision from happening. And I'm sure you're, you're very aware of this. Uh, this is not something uh, uncommon. Horses wear blinders to reduce their field of vision to stay focused on their tasks. When pulling loads or racing horses, life can be very distracting for a horse. Horses that pull wagons in cities need blinders to keep their attention focused straight ahead and block out the distractions around them. Horses also wear blinders to reduce stress. Today, many big cities offer horse carriage rides. And like, uh, like some of these big cities, distractions would cause a horse to take flight or lose focus and could actually be very dangerous to the people, the, the innocent tourists who are sitting in the carriage. Horses pulling without blinders actually stresses them, stresses the horse out. They're constantly trying to ignore all the signals and the flashes and the honks from their nervous system, and they, it actually lays more stress on them. So putting these blinders on actually lets the horse live an easier life for those that often ride into the city. Blinders allow horses to ignore and relax in their life. Interesting how horses are essentially literally running on blind faith, if you will. It's blinding them from a lot of their peripheral, and they're just trusting that the guy, the lady, the, the person on top is telling them where to go in the right way. When horses are racing, they would race, and I don't watch horse racing, but you, uh, when you watch horses that, that are racing, they have blinders. A, a lot of them do. And they just trust the person on the back to get them to where they need to go. And a Christian that is allowing the Spirit to lead him through life not only avoids many distractions along the way, but also can live a, 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 a stress-reduced life. A, a Christian that will just, in a sense, close his eyes and say, Lord, just lead me. Just take me where you want to go, Lord. And God oftentimes says, I'll lead you, but it's, it'd be a lot easier if you just close your eyes. Just because once you open your eyes, you're going to look this way and you're going to get distracted. You're going to look this way and get distracted. Why don't you just close your eyes, grab my hand, and let me lead you. And a lot of times at first, uh, you know, maybe we, we have a, 
a revival service or like a teen camp or a youth conference or something and a really good message about surrender takes place and you come forward and you give your life to God and for the first couple of days, the first couple of weeks, you're successfully closing your eyes and letting God hold you and letting God lead you. But you know, after a couple of weeks, after a couple of months, you kind of, you know, stick an eye out. Just want, just making sure everything's okay. You know, making sure the Lord's, you know, not going to back up anything. You kind of stick your eye out there and, you know, just, you want to just make sure everything's going fine. And then before you know, you, you close your eyes again. Lord, I was just, I was just joking. I was just checking. You know, we're fine. And a couple of days later, that eye comes back out, you know, and you look over this way. And before you know it, two eyes are out. And before you know it, your, your eyes are back open again. And even for a time, you get scared, you get worried, and you, you let go of the Lord. Almost like Peter walking on the water. Jesus saying, just look at me, Peter, and keep walking. Eventually, Peter saw the waves and realized, I shouldn't be walking on the water. How am I doing this? And he fell. You know, kids generally don't have as stressful lives as adults. Kids create stress on themselves oftentimes, but when a child is trained in the right way, you know, a child generally will listen to their parents. Obviously, I know they don't always listen to their parents. I have, I have children as well. But for the most part, I can say, do this or do that or come here or come here. They may not do it with the right attitude, but they, they come, they listen. They don't know why they're doing it. They're just following their parents, following their example. But eventually, we grow up and we move out of the house and now we're on our own. We don't have mom and dad constantly telling us what to do. And we're having to make our own decisions and oftentimes our life gets, gets stressful. And it's when we become adults that the stress really begins to build up in our life. And some stress in life you can't really do much about. It's just, it's just part of life. But there is a lot of stress in life that can be reduced if we would just say, you know what, Lord, <laughs> let's do it. Lord, just, just guide me. Just lead me. And just close our eyes and let God just pull us along. How many times have we said, man, I, I wish I could just be a kid again, you know? Just watching the children just run around the lobby, no care in the world, just just having fun, just talking, doing whatever. Don't care if they're un, if they're not matched properly, if they're a little bit dirty here and there. Let's just let God lead us and guide us and learn like Simeon to be led of the Lord. Look in uh, look in Luke chapter four and verse one. Just for me, it's one page over. Luke chapter four and verse one. Bible says, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was here he would be tempted by the devil, and for 40 days, Jesus wouldn't, he wouldn't eat, and it's an amazing chapter here, but here's an example of Jesus Christ, who is God, three in one, who also... Um, the Holy Spirit here is actually guiding and leading Jesus, the Spirit. If you look over in Acts chapter 8, keep your finger in Luke, but look in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Another example of someone being led by the Spirit here, Acts chapter 8. Eight and look in verse 26. This is the Philip and the Ethiopian. 
in Acts 8.26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the desert. Which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Go now. So first an angel directs Philip where to go, and then when he gets there, Lord, what do I do? And the Spirit of God came to Philip and said, That's why you're here. Go to that guy in that chariot right there. He doesn't know it, but he's waiting for you. Philip was a vessel that was able to be led by the Spirit. And there's another example in Acts 11 where Peter, just after having this weird vision, to Peter at least, uh, I guess we're right there, Acts chapter 11, look in verse 12. Peter has this, to him, a strange vision of all these unclean animals in a sheet up in the sky and God telling him to go eat. Peter's saying, Lord, I'm not supposed to do that. But look in Acts 11 and verse 12. And the Spirit bade me, this is Peter retelling the story, bade me to go with them. These were, uh, shortly after his vision, these Gentiles had basically come to his house and and an angel told Peter this was going to happen and the Spirit then tells Peter to go with these Gentiles and eventually he would see many of them get saved. You see, in order for the Spirit of God to actually use somebody, they have to be a vessel worthy of his use. The Spirit of God isn't going to use somebody that isn't in a state in which God wants to lead them. We have to be just. We have to be devout. We have to be, in a sense, not perfect, but we need to be a vessel clean enough for Christ to lead and to guide, the Spirit to lead and to guide. And Simeon was this person. He was led and he was there. And you know, the character of Simeon, the influences of Simeon are remarkable things, but there's one more thing I want us to consider about Simeon today is this declaration of Simeon. Look what he says. So back in Luke chapter 2, in verse 28. So Simeon now, he's in Jerusalem. He's a devout, just man. He's waiting for Christ to come. He knows Christ is coming. The Spirit of God leads him into the temple in verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus. Now verse 28. Then took he him up in his arms. And blessed God. You know, men's breakfast yesterday, a pastor made this uh, point. He said there's only a few people in the entire Bible who actually got to hold Jesus, hold him. And there may have been more that aren't mentioned in the scriptures. We imagine Joseph and Mary, I'm sure, held Jesus. Hopefully, probably some family and some friends. But here's a guy, Simeon. He reached, stretches out his arms, and he gets to hold the Messiah, Christ, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, verse 29, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace 
according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. In this declaration, he, first of all, thanks God. He thanks God for answering the prayer. He's not crazy. Although, maybe he's now trying to convince people that, I found the Messiah. Guys, I found him. I held him in my arms. Okay, first of all, the Spirit said you were going to find the Messiah. And now, what makes you think this baby is the Messiah? He just is. <laughs> I can't explain it. I just know it's him. The Spirit told me, I know it's him. How do you explain this? I suppose you can't. But Simeon had enough faith to know that this was Christ. He thanked God for answering his prayer. This seemed to be the highest honor of his life, was to meet Christ. To hold the Messiah. His whole life, he waited for this one moment in life. What would be the highest honor of your life? Like, what's the greatest thing you think could possibly happen to your life? Is it just striking it rich? You know, would that be it? The greatest honor in life? For Simeon, it was just to see Christ. To physically get to see him, to hold the Messiah. I fear that many Christians today, we, if you were to actually sit down and write down, what would be the top greatest things that could happen in our life, what would they be? Would any of the top be, man, if I could just be as close to God as possible, if I could just see these people be saved, if I could see this happen, would our highest goal and priority in life, our most greatest excitement in life revolve around Christ, around Jesus? I mean, what would be our greatest honor in life? What do we live our lives for? What gets us out of bed in the morning? What, what, what throws a smile on our face when we're down? What is it that drives us? For Simeon, it was knowing that Christ was on his way. And you know, Jesus Christ is on his way. <laughs> we don't know when. Simeon didn't know when Christ was coming. But Jesus Christ is coming back. And the Bible tells us to occupy till he comes, to, to work because the night is coming when Jesus Christ will come as a thief in the night. We don't know when that will be. And when he comes, will we be ready? What are we living our life for? Is knowing God our highest priority and honor in life? Is pleasing him? Not only that, but how often do we forget to even thank God? I mean, the first thing he did is he held the baby up and said, thank you. Thank you for, for, for giving me this. Thank you, Lord. Uh, just last night, we had a married couple's activity, and uh, on our way home, car wouldn't start. You know, starting, it was kind of going back and forth. I'm like, I don't know, I just had a mechanic look at it. He said it was fine. And it was going back and forth. And so we, uh, you know, we were all praying in the car, Lord, just start the car up. So I opened up the hood like husbands are supposed to do, you know, and supposed, you know like we know what we're doing. So I opened the hood, and... I'll just go look at it real quick, honey. Ah, opening up the hood, and I make sure the doors are closed, and that's why I say, okay, Lord, <laughs> the real mechanic, uh, what do you got for me, Lord? So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing some stuff here, and I'm, uh, you know, doing a couple of these things here, and, and, um, and then uh, it dawns on me that uh, our car was tilted like this, 
so uh, you know we were kind of low on gas, so I thought maybe it's just maybe you know the the gas isn't getting in. I don't even know where the tank is. I just know it. You know, and that was just a thought I had. So I put it in reverse. I tried to lower it down a little bit, but uh, I was I was afraid because I was parked right in front of the driveway. I was afraid if I went too far, I would just roll right into the street. So I kind of went halfway, tried starting it, wouldn't work. And then uh, Dave White was there. He came out. And he, he uh, kind of looked at it, and he had the same idea. He said, maybe it's the, the gas. So he, uh, I lowered the brake, and he held my car back so I didn't go in the street. And uh, all by himself with his pinky, he pushed the car straight. No, not quite. But he helped me kind of get it more level. And sure enough, and then the car started back up. And the mechanics, we won. We conquered. We, uh, no, we got back in the car. And I remember driving home, and I just said, Lord, Thank you. Thank you for getting my family home in the cold. And uh, and first thing I did was I put more gas in it, just in case. And so far, everything's been just fine. But we forget sometimes. We're praying, we're asking God for something, and then we forget to thank him once he answers our prayer. It's not Simeon. In fact, that was the first thing he did. He thanked God. But look at verse 30. He says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. Simeon knew this was Christ. He knew this was God. He knew it. He couldn't explain it, but he knew it. And this shows the ultimate character of Simeon, his faith in God knowing that this baby was the Christ. Knowing Christ, that faith in God, what a powerful... I mean, I've often heard people say that the currency in heaven is not money. It's not material wealth or gain. The currency in heaven is faith. And when we get to heaven, hey, how much faith did you have? He doesn't care about your physical wealth and he doesn't care about that but your faith and it's our faith in Christ that even gets us to the Lord and the crowns that we can throw at his feet are all once again based on our faith and our love for him and what we do for him he believes that this is God how is your faith in God today because let's just face it I've talked to many Christians some of them were friends back in high school and in college who have said, pray for me, I, I, my, I'm, my faith is weakening. My fa- I'm struggling with my faith. What does that mean? I try to get them to explain. Well, what do you mean you're struggling with your faith? And often it doesn't mean what, they, what it sounds like it means. But people go through life and somebody says something and it shakes their faith. And by the way, if it happens to you, it's not the, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. Sometimes people say things and you go, I don't know the answer to that. Huh. Or you, re- you watch something on YouTube these days. It's so easy now to get deceived. And when your faith gets shaken, the worst thing to do is to run from it. The best thing to do is go back to God. Go back to the scriptures. Maybe go to somebody that you can trust and bounce some ideas off and get back into the scriptures and rebuild your faith in the Lord. And Simeon is showing the height of his faith right here by knowing that this little baby was the Christ. And then he ends his declaration. With, uh, with a prophecy. I mean, look at verse 34. Well, verse 33 first. Verse 33 says, And Joseph and his mother marveled 
I mean, they don't know who, I, maybe they do know who this guy is, but they're walking in the temple and Simeon just probably interrupts and goes up and says, oh, it's, it's him. It's the Christ. We don't know if he was a Levite. We don't know if he was a priest. It's not much is said about him. According to Jewish tradition, they think he was. But he came up and he knew who Jesus was and he, he lifts him up and he's praising and he's blessing. And he's not just blessing Jesus. He's blessing him on a, a, a high level of a level of this is God. I mean, the highest level you can bless somebody. He's not just saying, oh, you have a cute baby. No, he's saying, I am touching God, your child. And then he says this in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary. So he looks at Mary, his mother. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. Also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It is true that Christ shall be a blessing to Israel, but there are those in Israel whom he is set for the fall of, whose corruptions will be provoked, as one commentator put it, who will be prejudiced and enraged against him and offended, and whose sin and ruin will be aggravated by the revelation of Christ. Jesus will come and be a blessing to so many but there will be many who, well, they won't quite see it this way. And the attention now is focused on Mary, the mother. This child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. A sword shall pierce thine own soul. Mary, it's not going to be easy for you, but know that his fall will be, it, it will be life for everyone else. It's almost like he's, give, he's telling Mary, Mary, it's going to get tough. You're the mother of the Messiah. The Messiah who's going who's gonna to live a wonderful life, but yet right at the end, everyone's going to turn on him. They're going to betray him. And Mary, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. But know this, that it's for the good. Because this is the Messiah. He must do it. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It was sort of, uh, it wasn't meant to come across negative. It, it was meant to prepare Mary and really be a help to her, to show her that, Je and even Jesus himself will have a sword pierced through him. And the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is the Messiah. This is he. We can keep going. We can talk. I could talk more on Simeon and his life. But what can we learn from this brief story of Simeon? He was a man that lived his life simply to see Jesus. A man that devoted his life to serving God and helping others. A man that was led by the Spirit of God. And a man that declared the truth of Christ. I think there's a lot to learn from this guy. A life, well, we don't know much about. We'll get to meet someday in heaven. But what can you learn from his life? 
What is your story? What are you living your life for? Are you devoting your life to Christ and serving others? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Is God leading you here throughout your life? Are you a vessel that's even worthy of God leading? Are you declaring the truth of Christ to those around you? Let us learn from the life of Simeon. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.